I bought this in some kind of bookstore and it must have been for a classroom because it's got a number in it and then names crossed off. Oh, yeah. I, Did you buy that in the says, States? Or? Yeah, I can't remember. I think so. But the first date in here for Roy D. Wells is 7-17-90. I think that's the same version I got a hold of. Yeah, mine was an electronic copy because I, I read that it changed in like 1999. There was like an updated version. I think they even added a couple of stories. What? Which I don't... What? Yeah, which were not so, in the copy so I this... read. I read there was a British version that went by the name is cool. We would talk about that. Went by the name The Silver Locusts instead of The Martian Chronicles. And for that copy, they took out Usher 2 and replaced it with, I can't remember exactly, the Orange Balloons or something. In the 1999 version that they released in the US, they added that story and I want to say a few more. Okay. And and then they changed all the dates, right? Because the dates were like 2005, 2006. They changed them to 2030 or something like that. Okay. I feel oh. like they should have gone mm. a little further out <laughs> than 2030 probably, but... Welcome to Life, Death, Sci-Fi. I'm Chris and I'm joined by a man who never looks up from dipping his meat in a in bubbling lava a man just returned from opening the first hot dog stand at a crossroads of the red planet the one man who escaped the house of usher or is it his robot double how you doing eric <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome oh Though I don't think I'd ever open up a hot dog stand, though I can understand <laughs> this one. That was a special moment in the book where... That was amazing, I thought. There, there were many kinds of crossroads in that chapter. It was really wonderful. Yeah, There were a lot of wonderful things in this book. Everybody has to know that this is one of our beloveds. If we're going to talk about science fiction stories, this would be... In my top 10, my top five, I don't know. I read along with this, I was reading two books at a time, and I read a trilogy along with this, and sci-fi. And it was interesting because the sci-fi that I was reading with it was current sci-fi, and then this was old sci-fi. That if you really think about it, can now, I guess... The Martian Chronicles could be classified as a fantasy, too. Yeah, yeah. I think people would argue with that. This is more fantasy than it is science fiction. But at the time, and we've talked about this a lot, at the time it was written, it was science fiction. With Bradbury, with this one, yeah, many sort of supernatural, fantastical elements. He's always been, I think, more of a soft sci-fi guy and more of a humanist or something. I totally agree with uh, that. I think humanist, I think that he ha- he adds his science fiction in so well, but that's not all of what his stories are about. I guess by 1946, when did Sputnik go up? I can't remember. It was around the 50s? Yeah, yeah, I think it was later than that. I want to say late 50s, early 60s. But there were rockets around by the time he was writing the story. There were rockets around. I don't think back in the 20s were there rockets I don't. I guess that's something hmm. I'll have to research, but I I don't think so. And I think right. by the time he's writing this story, 
he's thinking that, yeah, rockets are going to be like the airplanes of today. And I just love the way that the rockets, rocket summer. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. And that makes sense to me. And this was written before any of the huge rockets that go off today, but he describes them making summer out of winter, melting the snow, turning the earth to glass and quite powerful. That's a beautiful description. I'm trying to think that the rocket lay on the launching field, blowing out pink clouds of fire and oven heat. The rocket stood in the cold winter morning, making summer with every breath of its mighty exhausts. The rocket made climates and summer lay for a brief moment upon the land. What? 70 years later, it would fit perfectly with the description of the rockets that are going off now. And there are more rockets going off now than ever before. It seems like it's picking up. Yeah, they seem a little more accessible, these rockets, than the ones we've got these days. But who knows? Maybe in, yeah, if we don't destroy ourselves, then maybe maybe in 30 years or something. Yeah, There, There were some powerful messages woven in these stories. And I loved the way these stories were strung together in fix-up novel. Yeah, what a cool I've heard that before. Thank you for hyperlinking that in our notes. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool concept that he, so I guess the story is he, he published a bunch of short stories and then someone suggested that he put a bunch of those together and turn it into a novel, add a few to kind of link it, change some names and things, and, and then turn it into a novel. So they, they, they strung together all these different short stories he'd had published. And then he added some, right, and changed the names. I'd love to see a side-by-side. I didn't really look at that, but I think each, I guess all but the last third of it, they were all, um, all of them include. So you break it up into the three parts, right? The beginning is people arriving to Mars. The discovery, the finding out if you can breathe the air there. No, you can't. But, and by the way, that Bogdanovich, he wrote the Red Star. Am I remembering that? And he talked, no, it was C.S. Lewis. This is the one. He did a better job. The last one was C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, Out of the Violet Planet. Yeah. He did a better job of explaining how people could survive on the planet than Bradbury did. He just, you have to suspend your disbelief and go along with, there's an atmosphere, there's water there, you can live there. And yeah, I was able to do that, especially especially because of the alien nature at the beginning of this book, the second chapter called E-E number. The, and I've got a place I want to read about about that and and she's a martian she is a martian and she has copper eyes and she's yellow coin eyes soft musical voices fair brownish skin of a true martian just with bradbury in general i just love the imagination right and so one one of the things that was so imaginative here I don't know that the telepathy is necessarily, but I feel like there's echoes of that in other texts and things when it comes to Mars, some sort of telepathy. 
But, yeah. but I love the idea. She's hearing these songs and she doesn't know where they come from. She's hearing songs from a foreign yeah. language. And of course, they're like, I don't know, kind of classic, well-known yeah, hits from the U.S. And she starts to, she's being communicated with in a supernatural way before they've even arrived. And then these yeah, men arrive. She sees the arrival. She sees the ship. She sees a six foot one human kind of person stepping out and she wants to meet him. She, it's right. kind of, this guy's calling to her. We should say, because we move into these, that they're in life, death, sci-fi, there will be spoilers. We always will spoil the ending at some point. And and of all these different short stories as well, just to set that up, I guess she's hearing these voices and she's drawn to them. And this was an interesting choice too. She seems to have a real misogynistic husband, partner. Yeah, yeah. It feels like, a, I guess, American or some kind of couple, a certain type of couple that we've all seen or heard about, right? The guy was misogynistic. He was also uh, afraid and he's just going to go out and take care of this. Yeah. I'm not controlling this. Hmm. Yeah. And he does. And she cries. Yeah. Which part were you um, going to read? Honestly, Mr. and Mrs. K lived by the Dead Sea for 20 years, and their ancestors had lived in the same house, which turned and followed the sun, flower-like, for 10 centuries. Mr. and Mrs. K were not old. They had the fair brownish skin of true Martians, the yellow coin eyes, the soft musical voices. Once they had liked painting pictures with chemical fire, swimming in the canals in the seasons when the wine trees filled them with green liquors, and talk, talking into the dawn together by the blue phosphorus portraits in the speaking room. Now, for me, that was alien. And I'm drawn into it now. Science fiction, one of the things that I think our goal if for reading science fiction is to feel what it would be like to see, talk, be with an alien. And this brought me right in. I don't know if I'd like to live there, but I sure would like to visit and see all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. That's a good question. That's a question, right? Would I... Which voyage or expedition would I have liked to have been on? Certainly not the first few. Those were interesting. And they were great chapters. And it follows a little bit with what we're doing right now with our robot rovers. The first couple didn't make it. Didn't they make it? The aliens, the Martians took care of that. But it's the persistence that was interesting. And yeah, yeah. No, no, go ahead. You were saying that persistence. Yeah, with the persistence, we found the telepathy was explained more and then a little more, and then we could see it. And one of my favorite horrible chapters is, of course, the, what was it, the third expedition? The third, third expedition. So, the one with the poetry, and the moon will still be as bright with us. That's the one with Spender. And if you don't read Spender's speech, one of Spender's speeches, I will, because it was awesome. This is like, they, they knew how to live. Before we get to that one, can we just talk about the third expedition? Because I found that one terrifying. 
Oh yeah. The third yeah. The third one is where they they arrive and this is of course the other two expeditions have they lost contact, didn't return, didn't know what happened. And the third expedition they arrive and they where they land, they see this what seems to be some town in Iowa, I think that they're all familiar with. And or parts of it are all familiar to each of them. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh man, this is not, this kind of sounds hokey to me. And right. And as you get into it, it just becomes more and more clear what's going on. We're following this uh, one particular character who is troubled by it and yet still is taken in because of the family that that oh, seems real after reading it three times this was uh, this is the exploration of the earth people and they're in a discovery mode they're in a right. let's find out about this and the martians are in an invasion mode here come the invaders now I can switch that on the, the War of the Worlds kind of thing. Here come these spaceships and they're dangerous and we have to do something. Yeah, they lull them in. I don't know if we quite said what it is, but they, there's all these different families there. And so they feel like they've gone home again or to these places from their childhood and it's people that they've lost and they're all there and they're all real. Yeah, I mean, it's what, absolutely yeah. a trap. Honey, honey trap, you say. Yeah. Yeah. And then and this main character, that moment where he's going to bed and what he wakes up with a start and is like, I got to get out of here. And that's it. Yeah, They're just late. waiting for him. It's too, too late. late. Yeah. There's no one to call or to help him. I thought that was pretty hairs on the back of your neck yeah. stand up at that moment. Oh, man. But it's true what you're saying. Like they're in a, in a defense. And what a powerful tool to have this sort of telepathy and to be able to conjure or create a sort of hallucination through the mind that people see. We get some description of the aliens, but not often. And so it's a way of using elements from Earth and yet making them really foreign. I, I just think that's so interesting. So they're exploring yes. this foreign territory, this other planet, and yet it's familiar and unfamiliar at the same time, which is that moment of crossing borders as a sort of frontier. It's, it speaks to that frontier theme that's happening. It's not one place Got or the it. other. That's a good point because in the next chapter, I felt it did parallel what happened in the United States with the Native American population that was here. And it was purposely right. polluted with disease. So that fourth expedition, they arrive, and we can get into that with Spender and all that, but they arrive and we go from this third expedition where the Martians are alive and well, and if we just talked about, right, are able to stop the invasion from their perspective. Fourth expedition arrives and they're all, spoiler, dead, right? It's from chickenpox, so not smallpox with the native, like it was with the Native yeah, Americans. Th this is where the fix-it it might come in because in, in the previous chapter, one of the crew members, the astronauts was, I didn't call them astronauts then, but crew members, was sick. He had something Oh, I didn't even notice something. that, yeah. But then in the, what's the name of the chapter again? The moon's shell or the, come here. It's, uh... And the moon be still as bright. 
in that chapter, right. yes, they did say chicken pox. It was sloppy because if you're going to another planet, that you have to be careful with that kind of cross-fertilization of whatever it is. When they're all gone and the settlers do come, the little kids go into the city and they, mm. they kick the leaves, the black leaves around in the houses and the streets. Those were the remains of the Martians that died there. Right. Kids are playing around in the ashes of that. And it's, I thought that was pretty creepy. Very creepy. But vivid. Yeah, you overall, know. so many of these astronauts, they feel, they seem to lack a sensitivity, a real curiosity. They don't seem, let's say, they're neither scientists nor poets or something. They're just, they feel more conquistadors or something, right? Conquistadors, yes. Yeah. Like they're there to plant a flag and it's this, they're, they're there to spread their way of life and that's it. And they're militant, right? In a lot of ways, really. Yeah. Yeah. When I don't remember his name now, threw the beer bottles into the canals and just started polluting it just like we have polluted our own earth that we have to, because we polluted it too much. And now we're doing the same thing to this. And that's, I think, where Spender just went, little cuckoo. Oh, and he does mention. Okay. Spender continued. And then the other power interests coming up, the mineral men and the travel men. Do you remember what happened to Mexico when Cortez and his very fine, good friends arrived from Spain? A whole civilization destroyed by greedy, righteous bigots. History will never forgive. Cortez. Spender then goes off into the hills and disappears for a while because he's, spoiler alert, he's murdered some of the crew. So he knows he has to leave. So he goes up in the hills for, I don't know, a week or two, and he starts researching what this civilization was like and how beautiful it was and how Martians had solved problems that Earth people have not figured out yet. And why couldn't we have worked with them or learned from them instead of destroyed them? I think that's what that was getting to. Right. Yeah, I guess it's just complicated. Is it a dark portrayal of humanity? And yet there's moments of hope. It seems to show, I would say, a pretty good range of different types throughout. Yes. And maybe that's also one of the benefits of this fix-up style is that you get, I don't feel like it, it seems disjointed, but it does read many different moments, stories, pieced together. I started to say that earlier when it's, it's the Martian Chronicles and it's just there, it's almost like a historian trying to piece together some eyewitness testimonies and some records here or there and just trying to piece together this story of what some things that happened on Mars and toward the end of look right (laughs) as men started to arrive there yeah I totally agree with you like things strung together that we as readers have to put together and that was fun for me because you still have a storyline here but it's adjustable it's definitely yeah. not a choose your own adventure, but at the same time, you as a reader have to, I think, be a little more on top of it than just reading a, a normal storyline through. So it was 
challenged and delighted by that kind of a story and probably will look for those kind of stories more. But I, yeah, I don't know. I've never met a book like this before. Maybe that's why it's one of my favorites. I haven't met anything like that since the first reading. I'd read it once years ago, and yep. I, didn't, I don't know if I remembered it too well, but I remember liking it, but I liked it even more this time. Yeah, me too. I was Where? surprised. I thought the third read was going to be like, okay, I know this one. Like the Usher 2 story, I thought. At first, I hmm. thought, oh, I remember this one. Very dark, very creepy. I didn't remember the censorship part of it, and that delighted me at the end. And he had... What? The censorship and the other one that I loved. I just love, love, love this chapter about the luggage store where everybody was leaving. And no, is that the chapter? Okay, this is the chapter. These old racist white guys are sitting out in the porch and they're just looking oh, yeah. out. And then all of a sudden, all of these people are going, walking by and they're leaving and they figure out. Maybe they were told that they're leaving on the last rockets out. And right. this one guy, he says, no, you can't do that. You can't go. You have to stay here. And they said, no, we're going. I just love that. That You're leaving out the key aspect of it. I, look, I am. When all of a sudden these stragglers are walking by and the biggest racist guy says, hey, yeah. you owe me money. Yeah, because this is like full-on kind of, there's all kinds. The N-word is in like the third line, right, of that short story. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember reading this. When I, so when I was reading it, rereading it this time, I kid you not, like literally the short story or vignette, I can't remember, be, before this one, I was saying to myself, I am such a Bradbury fan. I love Ray Bradbury. And I was like, but there's, like, where's the race, right? Is it is there... Because like Fahrenheit doesn't deal with that at all. They tried to do that with that movie, that movie interpretation, and but he just doesn't deal with that sometimes. And he, he does in other short stories. I'm just saying, like some of his most famous science fiction works, he does. He has stories like "I See You Never" is like a really famous short story of his about an immigrant that is being taken away. So he's, so I think Bradbury's sensitive to that. And I think he's sensitive to it in this short story, but it was like just in the moment where I was saying to myself, all right, this is feeling like super white. We get <laughs> this short story in which, and of course this would happen where it's, there's yeah. a lot of people of color, black people, I think here, I can't remember, did they tell us what state they're in? It feels like we're in the deep South, but. Yeah. Uh, deep South, I, maybe they told us. Describes this whole like black river going through and yeah, yes. and there's these white guys on this porch and they start one in particular, not all of them, they're not all bad. One in particular, like just starts to lose it and uh, this shouldn't be happening. And he's clearly totally racist and some guy kind of owes him money. This one, yeah, this, I think a black guy that was working, I say working, but was under in servitude of him in his home in some way, is leaving and owed him money. And then the people, the other kind of black people pull their money together and he still isn't yeah, having it. And to me, yeah, there were so many echoes there of To Kill a Mockingbird where they don't feel good enough about themselves for who they are, that they, the only thing they have is to feel better for somebody just based on the fact, based on the color of their skin. And so I thought there was echoes of that here where this guy is, that's what it's about for him. Ultimately it's, he can't, this can't yeah, happen just, because then what's he going to have if he doesn't have that? And um, um, all leaving on this rocket to go to Mars yeah. to have a better life. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that moment when he realized that, and that's this is what Bradbury did so well, he crystallized that moment where that guy, the racist guy, just couldn't understand why they would want to go. And that's what racism is. Yeah. He, in this book, The Martian Chronicles, he talks about racism, censorship. What else? There was a, some big social issues in this book that I didn't, you don't expect to see. But then when you and I have talked about enough science fiction that social issues always come up in science fiction. And we've talked about Star Trek that based yeah. on social issues. Yeah, I was just thinking that when you said it, because I'd watched all but I think the last episode of Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which I'm really oh, enjoying. The, the last the episode series. Was, that, was that fanciful one with yeah the, i think that one i think the, right i think the one after that just came out but i haven't watched it yet there's I, another yeah, one i watched it this morning it was awesome oh, okay don't, it, uh, it took me right back i didn't even watch the end of the last one because i just don't like yeah i episodes. trouble with that too i think i've always struggled with those period pieces they mm-hmm. they eh? mm-hmm. yeah star trek next generation would do and, that once in a while and, and also the super q person character I don't like that either because if you he could that race can do anything they want anywhere and I just I'm not I don't know I'm not with that I don't but that's a part of the yeah it's a little help help me with that what I was gonna say is it's I think that's exploring maybe the what the nature of being and religion and those kinds of ideas, whereas other Star Trek stories, and then and I think this is the connection with sci-fi in general, and certainly Bradbury, where we're, it's a way of exploring themes, issues, topics that we struggle with on on Earth or in present times in our own society. Yes. And it's a yes. way of pushing those boundaries, asking questions, what if, right? And then there's little parts of that that reflect more or less the questions we have today. And I think that's there in Martian Chronicles too, right? Yeah. The other big social issue is war. The luggage store is all about that. And okay, you have humans coming to invade or discover the Martian or Mars, depending on who you look at. It could be an invasion or it could be discovery or whatever. And then you've got settlement and this settlement was pretty interesting because they, they were settling on top of a civilization. And that's happened on Earth, too. Mexico City was built on the capital of a civilization, and they built, they built their own civilization on top of that. Okay, then you have a war on Earth, a war that seems so compelling that most of the people, all of the people who have settled on Mars are going back to Earth to fight in the war, to be part of what's happening on Earth. And, and then you have another transition period with what happens on Mars, which is beautiful in the end. That was one of my favorite parts in the end. Which part, but the beautiful part was that they were traveling back to fight or which no, part? No, okay. Let me explain. Explain myself. You have the people who are going back to earth but then 
some are left on Mars. They just, uh, they didn't, they didn't uh, get the message or whatever. And then there's that transition. And this is something you can help me with. Was it, was it the hot dog stand where, I think it was, where a Martian came up and the guy shot a yeah, Martian? Yeah. And then he jumped in one of the Martian ships with his wife and because the more Martians were coming and he, he thought they were going to kill him. So right. he had, headed out on the Martian ship. And then when they finally caught up with him, he's just, okay, you're going to kill me. No, they give him the planet. They give him the deeds deed to the house. And I didn't really get that. And then they just left. And he was there all alone because he can't get back to Earth. Because and plus Earth is blown up. Yeah, I don't know if I got that either. What was happening with the deed at the end? Yeah, I was confused by that as well. It seemed almost prankish to me. Hey, you know, you, right. you killed us all, and now you're killing yourself. And so, hey, you want it? Here, you can have it. I don't know. And yet, prankish doesn't feel right for those Martians. No, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's. it's one of those moments where it reminded me of a Twilight Zone episode. Ah. Uh, and it's... Got it. Oh, can't think of the... Oh, it's the name of... It's, it's the one where uh, the main character just wants to be left alone and read... Oh, yeah. And, yeah. He's and, a quirky, not nice guy anyway. Yeah, yeah. he's grouchy. He's kind of, yeah, he just wants to like, everybody leave him alone so we can read his books. And uh, ironically. Course, yeah, there's this terrible. Spoil it? <laughs> well. You remember uh, what happens to this guy? <laughs> yeah. It felt like that to me where, I guess I'm not exactly spoiling it, but where he, he gets what he wants. This guy ends up gets with his, basically the whole plan. Yeah, he gets the whole he gets the whole yeah. place. He gets to read. He's sitting there in the library, books all around him. Oh, no, I'm just thinking of the hot dog. The guy's selling the hot dogs because he gets oh, the whole okay. planet. And, of course, then he has the planet and no customers and no one to buy a hot dog. So. Should have sold the hot dogs to the Martians. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being um, facetious. Yeah, that was a funny. I, I, I thought that was, it was interesting. I, didn't, I love the idea of a guy trying to set up a hot dog stand. I found him a pretty despicable, pathetic, kind of despicable character. So I, yeah, I apologize yeah. for comparing you to him in my intro as a hot <laughs> well, dog seller. And the imagery there I thought was really beautiful. I just didn't get really the message. I wasn't sure. There was more there than I read it and I thought, oh, there's more here. Did I miss this? I'll talk to Chris. I'll ask him. And yeah, you I'm not have sure. Not been very helpful. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Like I said, I, I it, it seems a bit off for them. I think it fits with Bradbury's sort of overall messaging with this one, not being open to new ideas and imagination. One of the stories I really liked yeah. that I didn't even remember from the last time I read it was it the Million Year Picnic? Oh, the end. Yes. Yeah, that's the last one. And so yes. obviously, spoiler here, one of the things that just struck me as you were talking about, I don't know, that one should just be called the hot dog stand or something. What is it called? Is it the off season, right? Yeah, and, very off season. Yeah. And so this million dollar, million dollar, this million year, Nick, yeah. it's this family that's left Earth to escape. They had a feeling what was about to happen. And so they escape with their rocket. Just barely. The rocket was 
only made for travel between the moon and earth. Yeah, they like somehow survived. Touristy. Yeah. yeah. They just made it to Mars and they're so happy. And what I didn't remember from the last time I read it, they had a group of people who were coming. Not very many, but a group of people. They've Four got boys. all boys. Somebody's yeah. come with their family of girls. Yeah. They're going to yeah, repopulate yeah, yeah. eventually. And uh, but it seemed, the boys seem to think they're on this picnic. Is that's what they set off for. And the reality is that they're never going back. And it just struck so, me. And yeah, I love this. How, how, as parents, how do you tell your kids, you already told your kids you're on a vacation, how do you tell your kids you're never going back home? You're never going to see your friends. You're never going to see your house. You're never going to see your favorite things there. How do you tell them? Well, I think you take out some Oreos from that stockpile you brought in your rocket, and then you tell them that, uh, hey, this whole city is yours. Go have some fun. And uh, they're totally distracted by the new world. I think kids are so malleable. I think they would what would they remember much anyway, ultimately? It would be in there, but I think the kids would be all right. But but just to, I'm saying that somewhat tongue in cheek, but that's what kind of struck me is that here they're about to, they've landed. I love the imagery. They're like going up this canal. That was really interesting. And they're choosing which city they want to be theirs. And just this whole like possessive ownership ends with somebody sort of planting a, a flag in a way of now this is our and i it's i just wonder about bradbury doing that it's no accident that they kind of look into this canal and they see themselves as the martians and it's heirs but i don't know i don't know i guess i wonder if he intended that to be somewhat hopeful i guess it's hopeful in the sense that the human race carries on it seems but i don't know that they've learned anything and i yeah. i think that's a big takeaway for me from this novel that humans just don't seem to learn is the Twain quote that they, you know, that history just rhymes. It doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And there's a whole lot of rhyming mm. in this <laughs> novel. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's, is not terribly hopeful, but some beautiful imagery there along the way. Oh my gosh. Now you said you had a favorite chapter. And yeah, and so my, this, my, my this might favorite, be part of your... This might be part of your cocktail at the end of the show. We're, we're, we're in the green room now where the food's been set up, cocktails are ready. I would, I would, it would be time for somebody to pull me aside and say it's time to leave if I brought this up at a cocktail party. You've had enough. This is <laughs> oh, getting dark. Oh, the Martian Chronicles again. <laughs> no, not the Martian Chronicles, although, although, yeah, seriously. But no, this particular short story, because it's so horrifying and yet beautifully written to me. And this is my top Bradbury short stories, top... I wonder if I only list some of them off, but like top five for sure, maybe top three. And it's There Will Come Soft Rains. There Will Come Soft Rains. So that's, yeah, it's that? August 2026, There Will Come Soft Rains. And this is with a mechanical house. Oh, yes. We've talked about this in a previous broadcast. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's come up. And what I didn't well, remember from this reading. Oh, because the main characters, it's the, it's the they're the same names as Fahrenheit. What do you mean? Like it's, it's, uh, isn't it like Faber or something that's in that? Is there? I thought it was. Am I misremembering I think that? there were any, I don't, I didn't think there were any characters. No, there was no characters, but they mentioned the names. Let me find it. Mr. Featherstone's birthday does marriage. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. But what I didn't remember is the end of this chapter got to me a little bit. So well written. It's just so well written. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I, f- I, f- I found that name. It's because in Fahrenheit, it's Clarice, right? The one who yeah. cites Montag. Her last name is McClellan. Okay. And so, yeah, in There Will Come Soft Rains, it's a nine. I love the use of time in this too. Five o'clock, the bath filled with clear hot water. Six, seven, eight o'clock, the dinner dishes manipulated like magic tricks. And in the study, a click in the metal stand opposite the hearth where a fire now blazed up warmly, a cigar popped out half an inch of soft gray ash on it, smoking, waiting. Nine o'clock, the beds warmed their hidden circuits for nights were cool here. Nine five, a voice spoke from the study ceiling. Mrs. McClellan, which poem would you like this evening? Yeah. yeah. And so it's like Clarice McClellan is the, that's the family that kind of incites. It could be total coincidence. And actually, would the McClellans live in a house like this from Fahrenheit? Probably not. Oh, you're right. right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Although maybe that was their cover. There was a hidden library in the basement of this. I don't know if this story is true or not, but it certainly could be. In Hiroshima, there's a wall oh. um, that has a person's shadow on the wall. That was burned in there by the bomb. Yeah, that's totally believable. No, it didn't. It, it, a storm didn't destroy that. It was the war that destroyed that house. Yeah. Yeah, and the kind of it's the sort of mechanical house, yeah, Jetsons like house that I think people would have imagined in the first half of the 20th century. That's what we look for. Automatic dishwashers, air conditioning, our gates open for us. We have alarm systems. But it's not the future we now vision. And of course, things are always changing, but maybe more of a Star Trek, Strange New Worlds. If you look at that, the captain's quarters there, maybe that's it or something. Or oh, I, I can imagine how we're going to have machines. I guess this is Justin's too, where they just, it's not going to be a bunch of mechanical arms coming out all over the place. It would be some sort of box that can produce the food by well, order. The, yes, yeah. yes. In this trilogy I read while I was reading Martian Chronicles and the Solar Wars, one of the things that they used... Uh, in every single book, a lot was 3D printers printing mm. the things that they needed, printing a solar panel, printing a drone, and they used a lot of drones in, in, in this book. And yes, I agree with you. It's like a box, a 3D printer. 3D printers already print food. They don't create it out of molecules. You have to put the food in there and it'll print out the, the design that you want. But I don't think we're too far away from the, no, the meat like fields it. of the feed. Yeah, here's your impossible burger. Yeah, click. Yeah. I don't know. What a great read. Yeah, I like this epigraph. The What did it say? It's good to renew one's wonder, said the philosopher. Space travel has again made children of us all. And I like that. I think that's one reason for this exploration that I think we're doing is there's a, a little bit of renewal. It's a lot of nostalgia, but some renewal of, I think, childlike joy and curiosity at all these a re- a revisiting and a discovery of these sci-fi tales. Yeah, I like that. I also think that we're looking at this from did science fiction develop? How did we get these ideas of these aliens? 
There's some pretty scary aliens in this next Star Trek episode, I'll tell you. And uh, how did we get... How did we get that? Where did that come from? And I'm starting to see it. This is actually the first novel that's, it seems different than the other Martian stories that we have read. It seems a little different. It seems impossible and also believable at the same time. How can I say that? I don't know, but it's, and and in, in your idea of makes children of us all, it does. This story does do that. Yeah, it's just much more, I would say, much more imaginative and far less pedantic, much more exploratory. And just stylistically, it's so different. I don't mean just his writing style, but just by the fact that it's this sort of fix-up novel. I love that, fix-up. Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah it's, it's, and it's really refreshing. I think we were both struggling a bit with uh, this sort of following this one particular character, seeing everything through that one character's eyes. And I think uh, in in most of these, uh, most except for Edgar Rice Burroughs, I think there's been a hidden agenda that, uh, that we were supposed to grasp onto. And this one, it talked about social issues and everything, but I didn't feel like it had anything that was being forced on me. Yeah, that's it doesn't feel, you don't feel like you're being lectured really much. Exactly, yeah. Um, I think Ray Bradbury gave me a gift of just developing my own opinions, letting me read his story and enjoying it on my own. And there were enough surprises and delights that it kept me going. I don't, there, were there any cliffhangers in this? I don't remember, but it just, but I didn't want to put it down. I, it, the way it was put together, kept me reading. Right. All right. I think next up, I feel like we got to return to a few of these, but at some point we'll make some of those connections. If we're going in the same order. It's getting better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm eager. I don't know. I'm just eager to get up to Kim Stanley Robinson again. But I, the next one on our list is Philip K. Dick's Martian Time Slip. Okay. And he's obviously, I don't know, probably on some people's Mount Rushmore's of sci-fi writers. Although, yeah, people are critical of his writing a bit, not his stories, obviously, but his style. Yeah. I don't know if I've read any of his. I know I have, but I can't, he hasn't popped out. Yeah. I've read like The Man in the High Castle. Okay. Okay. Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. A few, but it's been. It's also those. It's been a while as well. Uh, what do you think? Go for it. Nineteen sixty-four. Martian time yeah. slip. Yeah. Rolling Stone says this. The writing is humorous, painful, awesome in its effect, both on mind and heart. There are few modern novels to match it. Wow. Oh, here's a little. Here's a little comparison to Bradbury. Just as Ray Bradbury's Mars ignores both scientific knowledge about Mars and the colorful landscape of the planetary romance in order to create Mars as peculiar, peculiarly, can't say that, his own. So Philip K. Dick writes about Mars that is, oh, okay, I don't know, there's a little bit of spoiler there. It says, should I read it? Less? No. Okay. No. no, I'll leave it. Okay, we'll see. Okay, interesting. Wish I had read that now, but... Oh, no, uh, I can't erase it. I've seen yeah, it, but I can't uh, erase it. I'm sure it's right oh. there in the beginning, but I'm sure it's not a... Yeah, it's not a, it's not a spoiler for the end, but it's just... It's okay. 
Bye. Bye. Bye.